Spin seems to imply that the political communicator crosses the boundary that separates honest communication from manipulative embroidering and lying. Spin refers to the darker side of political communication. Seeking favourable coverage seems to slip into dishonestly tweaking, controlling and staging of information for the purpose of retaining a positive coverage and protecting policies and personalities from criticism. That seems indeed to be what's at the heart of the negative connotations of spin, or as you call it, the dark side of political communication. But it's not always easy to know when political communication slips from merely defending one's position or presenting a policy into spin. Spin seems to be used to indicate that someone breaches the rules of what is acceptable in political communication. One crosses a boundary when one doesn't want to call the person who communicates a liar. So one uses spin instead. So maybe we can discuss this a little bit by means of a concrete example. And a good example is related to the politics preceding the war on Iraq in March 2003. Now, there was a political struggle going on in the United Nations over whether or not a second resolution would be accepted. The second resolution would sanction the use of military force against Iraq. Now, this is called the second revolution because there was another resolution called 1441, which allowed for serious action if Iraq breached the prohibition of developing weapons of mass destruction. Now, for some countries, the second resolution was needed if military action was to be legal. While other countries thought that the legality was not a question because on the basis of the first resolution, the 4041, one could already go for military intervention. But it would be good to have a second revolution to give it some extra moral support for military action. Now, that all came to a halt when the French president, Chirac, made it clear that France would use its veto power to block the second resolution. Ma position, c'est que, quelles que soient les circonstances, la France votera non parce qu'elle considère, ce soir, qu'il n'y a pas lieu de faire une guerre pour atteindre l'objectif que nous nous sommes fixés, c'est-à-dire le désarmement de l'Irak. France's position tonight, he said, is that whatever the circumstances, we will vote no, because we think there is no place for war in achieving the target that we have fixed of disarming Iraq. Now that actually means that the resolution is dead. It has no chance to be accepted. Resolutions can only be passed if the five permanent members of the Security Council do not veto them. Now, this statement is a rather dry statement, that doesn't say much more than that France will use its veto because it does not see the need in the present circumstances to use military force to get Iraq to comply with Resolution 1441. Now let's listen to the reaction to this announcement in the United Kingdom. Downing Street didn't bother to moderate its language. It said that France's decision to use its UN veto, whatever the circumstances, had injected poison into the diplomatic bloodstream. The Prime Minister's official spokesman pointed out that France had this morning rejected Britain's compromise proposal of six tests for Saddam Hussein, even before the Iraqis. Earlier, the Foreign Secretary Jack Straw also launched an angry attack on France. What I have, however, I find uh, extraordinary that, without even proper consideration, uh, the French government have decided uh, that uh, they will reject uh, these proposals, uh, adding to the statement uh, that, quotes, whatever the circumstances, France will vote no. 
When we negotiated Resolution 1441, we not only placed obligations and responsibilities on Saddam Hussein, but we also placed obligations and responsibilities on members of the Security Council as well. The Prime Minister today uh, told me that although they continue to try and seek a second resolution in the UN and will continue to do so, uh, that second resolution is now probably less likely than at any time before. Uh, he made the reason for this as the fact that the French have been completely and become completely intransigent and have literally threatened to veto almost anything that is put forward uh, to uh, the UN Security Council. Uh, that and to a lesser extent the Russians has meant that um, unaligned nations are finding it difficult to make a decision because if it's going to be vetoed anyway they're saying so what. So that means essentially that military action has become more likely. There are several issues here that indicate that information is being spun rather than the person simply angrily reacting to a disappointing statement or simply asserting that France binned any possibility for a second resolution and that therefore the military enforcing of Resolution 1441 will not get this extra legitimacy that the UK was hoping for. First, the language is very colourful, if not derogatory. I mean, that phrase, poison in the diplomatic bloodstream. Secondly, linking the French veto to a higher chance of war is incorrect. The second veto was going to sanction the use of force. That means the question was not one of whether one should go to war or not, but about whether or not one should get a new resolution to sanction going to war. And there's a third characteristic in these statements as well, which is embroidering of information, because they seem to give the impression that France does something illegitimate or that the United Nations doesn't work properly. But actually, a great power like France, one of the veto powers, they can use their veto. That's the way how the Security Council is conceived and how it works. It protects the interests of the five great powers that were victorious in the Second World War. There is therefore no need to completely discredit the United Nations except in a context, maybe, where the British government finds itself in a very uncomfortable position when it's bound by the second resolution as this extra support it needs to go to war, whereby it creates a whole expectation that one cannot go to war unless there is a second resolution. So discrediting the United Nations and blaming France as if it was the only country responsible for sinking the resolution is not correct information to some extent. It gives a twist to the way the events are represented in such a way that the government in the United Kingdom seems to have done everything it could to get an extra support for the war on Iraq. But actually it has now to go without a second resolution because ultimately the UN is not a workable institution. There's a certain cynicism in the way this announcement of the veto is presented it at least borders on dishonest presentation. The presentation is made conspicuously dramatic so as to deflect attention away from the embarrassing developments that could undermine the credibility of the Prime Minister and the British government at home. And that's at the heart of why spin always raises questions of trust. Because spin refers to political communicators as manipulators that are more concerned about their own credibility than the common good, and they are prepared to seriously distort, sometimes, information for that purpose. 